The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. progress. The Lord is calling you. He's calling you from wasted years. If you'll be honest with me and I will be with you, we must admit to each other that we have many wasted years. We have walked in dullness In disobedience, we have walked in ways that brought darkness upon us and caused tears to flow. Now, I don't care if you are the young person, the young who goes to a night party out in the field and ends up drunk. If you are a young person living with a man because he's security to you, 
I don't care if you're a middle-aged person trying to accumulate enough resources that you can hopefully retire one day. Or if you're an older person, we have all wasted years. And it's my cry that we redeem those wasted hours and those wasted years. Wasted because we walked in our own darkness, in our own foolishness, selling ourselves for money or pleasure. At some point, hear Jesus calling to you and saying, turn from your wasted years. Let me redeem you. There is, however, one major roadblock to redeeming those wasted years. John Bunyan, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, first published in, I believe, 1678, He died in 1688 at the age of 60. He was finally free of prison and was allowed to preach the gospel. John Bunyan writes about how we waste our years. Let me share with you a part of the story of John Bunyan's faithful and Christian as they make their way toward the celestial city. Now I saw in my dream that as they went on, faithful looked to one side and saw a man whose name was Talkative walking beside them a short distance away. For on that part of the path, there was room enough for many to walk together. Talkative was a tall man, looked more handsome at a distance than he did up close. Faithful spoke to Talkative. Friend, how are you? Are you going to the heavenly country? Well, that's exactly where I'm going, Talkative replied. Faithful responded, very good. I hope that we may have the pleasure of your company. I would be happy to be your companion on the journey. Well, come then. Let's go together and spend our time in conversation about things that are excellent, Faithful invited. Talkative said, I'm glad to have met someone who realizes how profitable it is to talk about good things. To tell you the truth, there are very few of us who will spend their time during travels speaking about what is good. Most men will waste their time talking about things that are of no value, a fact that troubles me. Faithful agreed. Yes, that waste of time is something to regret. Is there anything more worthy of our tongue and mouths than to speak of the things of God and of heaven? Oh, I'm enjoying your company already, Talkative said warmly. Your speech is full of conviction. And to what you said, I would add that there is nothing more profitable or pleasant as talking about the things of God. Also, if a man likes to talk about history or the mystery of things or miracles or signs and wonders, where would he find it recorded more sweetly than in the Holy Scriptures? Faithful agreed, saying that is true. We should desire to thus be profited in our conversation by purposely talking about the things of God. Talkative added, Those are my thoughts also, for to talk of such things is most profitable. By so doing, a man may gain knowledge, knowledge about many things, including the variety of earthly things and the benefit of things above. To be more specific, by talking, a man may learn the necessity of the new birth, the insufficiency of our works, the need of Christ's righteousness, etc. In addition, by talking, a man may learn what it is to repent, 
to believe, to pray, to suffer, and the like. By talking, a man may learn what are the great promises and consolations of Scripture and be comforted by the promises. Further, by talking, a man may learn to refute false opinions, to defend the truth, to instruct the ignorant. All this is true, and and glad I am to hear you say them, faithful said. Talkative went on. Because there is so little talk of these things, there are few who understand the need for faith and the necessity of a work of grace in their soul for the obtaining of eternal life. They're still ignorantly living by the works of the law through which no man may be able to obtain the kingdom of heaven. Faithful said, yes, but the heavenly knowledge of these things is the gift of God. No man can attain them by human industry or by merely talking about them. All this is very, very true, Talkative said softly, for a man cannot receive anything and thus it is given to him from heaven. All is of grace and not of works. I could give you a hundred scriptures to confirm this. Well then, said Faithful, what is the one thing that we should spend our time talking about? Well, whatever you like, Talkative offered. I will talk of things heavenly or earthly, moral or evangelical, sacred or profane, past or future, domestic or foreign, important or inconsequential, so long as it is done for our benefit. Now Faithful began to marvel about Talkative, and stepping over to where Christian was walking, he softly said to him, What a brave companion have we found. Do you not think that this man will make a very excellent pilgrim? Hearing this, Christian smiled gingerly and said, The man with whom you are so impressed will beguile you with that tongue of his. Oh, do you know him, Faithful asked. Know him, yes, better than he knows himself. Well, tell me who he is. Christian replied, His name is Talkative. He dwells in our town. I'm surprised that he's a stranger to you, but perhaps it is understandable since our town is so large. Well, whose son is he, and and where does he live, Faithful inquired. Christian replied, he is the son of Mr. Saywell. He lives in Pratting Row, and he is known to all who are acquainted with him by the name of Talkative. Notwithstanding his fine tongue, he is a miserable person. Well, he seems to be a very respectable man. Yes, to those who don't really know him, He is best abroad. Near home he is unseemly. Your impression of him as a respectable man brings to mind the work of a painter whose pictures show attractively at a distance, but unpleasantly up close. I noticed you smiled. Are you jesting with me, Faithful wondered? Oh, God forbid that I should jest. Yes, I did smile. I would not accuse anyone falsely. I will give you further insight into who this man really is. This man travels with any company and talks of everything. As he's now talking with you, so will he talk with with the man who is drinking at the pub. And the more he drinks, the more he talks. Christianity has no place in his heart, his home, or his conversation. He's all talk. His religion is to make noise with his mouth. Really? Then I've been greatly deceived by this man. Yes, you may be sure of it, Christian asserted. Remember the proverb, they say and do not. But the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He talks of prayer, he talks of repentance, he talks of faith and of the new birth, but he only knows how to talk about them. I've been with his family and have observed him both at home and abroad. 
I know that what I say about him is the truth. His house is empty of any true religion, as true as the white of an egg is without flavor. In his house there's no prayer, no sign of repentance for sin. The ox of the field is his, in his own way serves God far better than this man. He is a stain and a reproach and a shame to true faith in Jesus. No one who knows him as good has a good word to say about him. The common people who know him say this about him. A saint abroad, a devil at home. His poor family knows what a tyrant he is. He is rude, raving at the slightest provocation. Very unreasonable with his servants. They do not know what to do or to say to him. Men who have financial dealings with him say that it's better to deal with a known cheat than with him. This man talkative is worse than a cheat and far surpasses the worst criminal in his ability to beguile and defraud. To make matters worse, he's bringing up his sons to follow in his footsteps. If he sees his own children even the slightest tendency toward a tender conscience, he calls them fools and blockheads. His is a wicked life. He has caused many to stumble and fall. And unless God prevents it, he will be the ruin of many more. Well, my brother, Faithful said, I'm inclined to believe you, not only because you know him, but also because I cannot imagine that you would say these things slanderously or falsely out of ill will, but only because this warning is true. Christian went on, had I just met him, I might have shared your good opinion of this man. Had I received a bad report about talkative from those who are the enemies of true religion, as often happens when evil men speak of faithful men, I would have considered those reports slanderous. Let me stop a minute. Wasted years come to us because we have not said and done in agreement. We waste our years when we claim one thing, but our actions show another. In the book of Ezekiel, in the 33rd chapter, let me read what the Lord says to the prophet Ezekiel. As for you, Son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, Come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. We waste our years. We waste our lives when we hear what is right and then do not put it into practice. Christian solemnly stated there are two different things indeed and are as diverse as the soul and the body. For just as the body without the soul is a lifeless carcass, so also is saying without doing. The soul of religion 
is the practice, the working part. I have a note in this chapter that I found very interesting, if I can find it again. It says, a sense of of dryness and even discouragement comes over my heart after a lengthy encounter with talkative. It is always a dry conversation that depresses the soul. There's nothing more depressing than to have a conversation with a person only to find that they don't do what they say. I want very much to talk with people who practice what they talk. My wasted years have come out of my fear of doing what God called me to do, being paralyzed, a lack of belief, a lack of trust in Jesus. It's also come out of another part of this whole issue. My wasted years have have come out of the desires of my own heart. The desire to have and to hold for myself. Selfishness. The Lord has had to deal with me very sternly on this issue of of selfishness. Let's be very blunt, please. There is in each one of us a gaping hole in our heart. And we reach out to try to grab whatever we can grab that we think will fill that emptiness of our soul. We reach out for security. We reach out for whatever we think, money, pleasure. We reach out for whatever we think will salve the hurt of our heart and will somehow give us the security, the well-being to survive. I know as I speak today, the pain of some of your hearts is so great, you don't know how you can survive. You're going to have to stop all medication of your heart. And you're going to have to begin to do what is righteous, what is right, what is pure, what is clean, what is holy. It's only as we begin to literally put into practice what we know God is calling us to put into practice that we can begin to reclaim the lost hours and days where where we can begin to be hidden once more in Jesus. Now some of you think you're hidden in Jesus but you've not obeyed him. 
You've not done what he asked you to do. You've not gone where he's asked you to go. Now in the book of James, chapter 3, first verse is a very scary one and, and it's right. He says, my brother, and do not, not many must become teachers knowing that we will receive a greater judgment. Well, he's right. It's a frightening thing to become a teacher of the faith of Jesus Christ because if we're hypocritical in the teaching of the gospel of Jesus, the judgment of God will fall harshly upon us. But then he he speaks in a manner that comforts my heart. He says, for we all make mistakes in numerous ways. If anyone does not make a mistake by what is said, this man is perfect and able to hold in check the whole body. Well, Pastor James is saying, look, all of us have made mistakes and and most of those mistakes are somewhere found in what we have said and not done. Our tongues are very dangerous instruments. And many saying they will repent, believe they have repented. And many saying they will read the scriptures, believe they're reading the scriptures. But it's not the saying that makes it happen. It is the doing. It is the doing that brings righteousness from Jesus. There are some people that I speak with that exhaust me. They have many words to say. There are some people who, when they pray, exhaust me. It's almost as though they're lecturing us and God. And they expand in their prayers, and and it's clear how much they think they understand. But there's no brokenness nor humility. This past Sunday, I heard one of the most effective prayers I think I've ever heard. It was at the offertory at the National Prayer Chapel when a brother, a tall, handsome man, well-dressed, spoke about giving and he began to talk about laying everything down for Jesus and the cost of laying everything down for Jesus and the joy of laying everything down and then he began to pray the offertory prayer And he began to weep. Not just a trickle, but he began to heave with tears. He was overcome by by what it has cost him to give up everything for Jesus. And he was overcome by the great love of Jesus for him. In the humility of his heart, all he could do was stand before the congregation with tears running down his face. Powerful prayer. Powerful testimony and witness. I would rather see a man break in humility and tears than stand 
in his self-righteousness and pray his polite prayer. Use his wonderful vocabulary to impress all of us with his great wisdom and understanding. After this man's offertory, there was not even the slightest bit of exhaustion in my soul from listening to him. While others that I might listen to, after listening to their prayers, I'm exhausted. And I'm frankly sure that God was also exhausted by some. What is it that makes the exhaustion come? What is it that brings the dryness? What is it that, that causes the heaviness of soul in, in communication with another person? I want to suggest to you that it's caused by a distance between what they say and what they do. That words that are simply spun out without meaning, without depth, without any reality behind them are words that just exhaust us. This causes us to lose hours and days of our lives, years of our lives, because what we say and what we do are different. We are refreshed by honesty. We are put off. We are exhausted. By religiosity. I've dealt much with both kinds of people. Being a pastor, here comes a man, well-dressed, well-spoken, quick to give a great theological insight. And yet as I listen, I'm exhausted. Because his great insight carries with it no Holy Spirit presence. It just has the mark of talkative on it. If you want to reclaim the lost hours and days and years of your life, then begin in the smallest things to do what you say. When you say you're going to do something, do it. When you say, I'll be there on time, be there on time. When you say you're going to give something, give what you said you would give. This is not rocket science. This is merely beginning to do what you say you're going to do. And when you speak about Jesus, let it reflect the reality of your true heart condition. If you're a liar, say you're a liar and repent. If you're arrogant, admit your arrogance. Whatever it is that you are doing, be honest. Pastor Ray Brigham, a dear friend from past years who has now gone on to his reward, one of the founders of the National Day of Prayer. I was with him at a Holy Spirit revival meeting where we were preaching together. He said something of great 
value to me. He said, Ray, when you're tired, sleep. When you're hungry, eat. When you're sad, cry. And when you're happy, laugh, rejoice. In other words, let your words and your actions match one another. Now, Christian continues. By hearing God's word is indeed, it is indeed sown in our hearts, but talkative alone in response to that word is not, is not willing to let it bear fruit in his life. Let us be very certain that at the day of doom, men will be judged according to their fruits or fruit. No one will be asked, did you believe? But instead, were you, were you doers or only talkers? Accordingly, they will be judged. The end of the world is compared to a harvest the harvest of our souls. As you know, men at harvest time are only interested in fruit. This doesn't mean that we can believe anything false to true faith as long as we bear fruit. Far from it. But I say this to show you how insignificant the profession of talkative will be on that final day of judgment. Faithful added, This brings to my mind what Moses said when he described the beast that is clean. The clean beast is the one that both parts the hoof and chews the cud. Not the beast that is only one or the other. The rabbit chews the cud, but it's still unclean because it does not part the hoof. This truly resembles talkative who chews upon the word as if he's seeking knowledge, but he doesn't divide at the hoof. That is, he does not part with the way of sinners. Just like the rabbit, he has the foot of an unclean dog or bear and is therefore unclean. As far as I know, you have declared the true sense of the gospel scriptures, Christian affirmed. And, and I will add one more thing. Paul calls some men, those who are great talkers, sounding brass, and tinkling cymbals. In Romans chapter 13. That is, he explains in another place, things without life, giving sound. These men are without life, without the true faith and grace of the gospel, even though their talk sounds like the tongue of a voice the voice of an angel. Consequently, these are men who will never dwell in the kingdom of heaven among those who are the children of life. Faithful said, well, I was, I was not fond of his company when we first conversed, but now I'm, I'm sick of it. What should we do to get rid of him? Well, take my advice and do this. And you will be able to find very soon that he will be sick of your company unless God touches his heart and changes it. Well, Faithful said, what would you have me do? Christian answered, go to him and enter into some serious discourse about the power of religion, which he will affirm. I assure you, then ask him plainly, whether this power is something that is truly working itself out in his heart and in his home and in his behavior. So Faithful stepped back over to where Talkative was walking and began to converse with him, saying, How are you doing? he asked. Well, very well, thank you, Talkative replied. I thought we should have had a great deal of talk by now. Faithful offered, If you would like, we will continue our conversation. And when we last spoke, you left it to me to 
proposed a topic for discussion. Well, here's my question. How does the saving grace of God make itself known when it is in the heart of a man? Oh, I see, talkative stated. You want to talk about the power of things. Well, there is a very good question there, and I'll be happy to answer you. I will make my answer brief and to the point. First, where the grace of God is at work in the heart, it causes there to be a great outcry against sin. Secondly, faithful interjected, wait a minute. Let's consider your points one at a time. I think you should have said it makes itself known by inclining the soul to hate its sin. Well, what's the difference between crying out against and hating sin, Talkative inquired. Well, faithful answer, there's a great deal of difference. A man may cry out against sin out of principle, but he cannot hate it unless he has God's own antipathy against it. For instance, I've seen many cry out against the sin in the pulpit, yet abide in it well enough in their own hearts and their manner of life. Potiphar's wife cried out against Joseph with a loud voice, as if she'd been very holy. Yet she would have gladly, despite her cries to the contrary, committed adultery with him. Some cry out against sin as a mother cries out against her child when she calls her a good-for-nothing and a naughty girl and then smothers her with hugs and kisses. Well, I think you're trying to trip me up with details, talkative accused. Faithful responded, no, no, no. I'm only trying to set things right. For what is the second way in which a, a work of grace makes itself known in the heart of a man? Great knowledge of gospel mysteries, talkative answered. Faithful countered, this sign should have been first, but but first or last, it's also false. For knowledge, even great knowledge, may be obtained in the mysteries of the gospel without a work of grace in the soul. The truth is, the truth is that a man can have an abundance of knowledge and still be nothing, and so consequently, despite his confession, not be a child of God. When, when Christ asked, do you know all these things? And the disciple, they answered, yes. He added, blessed are you if you do them. He did not pronounce a blessing for knowing, but for doing. For there is a knowledge that is not connected with doing. He that knows his master's will and does not do it. A man may know like an angel and yet not be a Christian. Therefore, the point you make is not true. Indeed, to know is something that pleases talkers and boasters, but to do is that which pleases God. Not that the heart can be good without knowledge, for without knowledge the heart is empty. But there are two kinds of knowledge. First, is alone in its bare speculation of things, and the second is accompanied by the grace of faith and love which causes a man to do the will of God from the heart. The first kind of knowledge will serve the talker, but a true Christian will not be content until his knowledge results in sincere works that please God. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Talkative protested, you are trying to trap me again. This is not edifying. Well, then tell me another way in which the saving grace of God makes itself known when in the heart of a man faithful challenged. Oh, not me, for I see that we shall not agree, faithful offered. Then, well, if you will not, may I have permission to do so? Well, you are free to say whatever you want, talkative answered. Well, faithful began, a, a work of grace in the soul makes itself known either to the one 
who has it, or to the onlookers. Where God's grace is truly at work, it produces conviction of sin as the converted soul becomes aware of the defilement of his nature and the sin of unbelief, a sin that he now knows with certainty will send him to hell unless he finds mercy at God's hand by faith in Jesus Christ. The new awakening of the soul works in him to produce a sorrow and a shame for sin. But that's not all. He also finds revealed in him the Savior of the world and realizes the absolute necessity of clinging to Jesus for life. When he desperately clutches onto him, the awakened soul finds that his hunger and thirst for the Savior increases just as it is promised. Now, according to the strength or weakness of his faith is his Savior, so is his joy and peace. So is his love for holiness. So are his desires to know him more and more and to serve him more single-mindedly in the present world. Well, we'll stop there for today and in the book Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to come back to this topic later this week. But what I I do want to lift up before you today, this third chapter, I'm going to talk about a lot this week, this third chapter of the book of James. But he identifies two things that will cause great unrest in our lives that we're going to have to come to terms with. The first is found in verse 13 and 14. James is talking about um, this reality of, of actually doing what we say, actually living, redeeming the past years by by honestly walking with Jesus and doing what he's asked us to do. And he identifies two blocks. The first is bitter jealousy, and the second is selfish ambition in the heart. He's saying that that we're jealous, and that if we're not aware of that jealousy, And if we're not aware of our ambition, we will continue to try to be in charge of our own lives. We will continue to waste our years in unhappiness. We will continue to waste hours and days with discontent. Jealousy is is seeing what someone else has and wanting it. Or jealousy is so desiring to have something that I will fret. I will I will be depressed. I will be upset in my spirit with others around me because I can't have what I want. And what do I want? Well, that's connected with selfish ambition. That is wanting for myself to be in charge of myself, to have control over all that's around me so that I can grab what I want. It's all centered in me. In the story I've just shared with you from Pilgrim's Progress, Talkative was all about talkative. He was about himself. Lost hours and days and years can only be redeemed as we begin to recognize the jealousy of our heart and the way we're willing to plow anybody and anything out of our way for our selfish ambition. And most often we use our tongue to accomplish this. 
We criticize, we judge, we cast others down. The blessing of God's joy does not flow from our hearts because of this jealousy and selfish ambition. We're going to have to come to terms with what are the blocks to actually living out the gospel of Jesus Christ in practical ways. And I urge you, pray carefully about this jealousy and this selfish ambition that will not let your soul enter into the rest of God as spoken of in Hebrews, the third and fourth chapters. When we finally give up our ambition, we give up our selfish ambition and our jealousy, then we can begin to walk out the reality of what it means to be a Christian. Well, we're out of time for today. I'd like to pray with you, though. Almighty God, I plead today for understanding, but much more than understanding, I plead for the courage to honestly confess the inner part of our heart, the crying pain of our heart, the loneliness of our heart, the the mistakes we know we've made. Lord, would you give us the courage to stop playing any games with you or with our families or with anybody else? Would you erase from us this false religion of talkative and place it deep in our heart that we must have integrity, that we must be honest? Jesus, from early hours this morning, I've just been crying out and say, Jesus, America needs you. We need you. I need you. These precious ones listening, we need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley on Pilgrim's Progress. I'd like to invite you to Contribute to this broadcast as Jesus prompts you. I would like to see this broadcast move over to the FM side of the dial. We can do that as God's people respond and help cover the cost. You can contact me by writing to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find podcasts and videos. I also invite you to subscribe to our video on YouTube. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.